recording this one for a while. Uh. <laughs> hey adventurers, it's Lizzie from the Westerverse. These are my campaign diaries for the Guardians of the Hall. Um, um, today we're going to be talking about episode 16, which is called Rowan's Awakening. I have a lot of thoughts about this, okay? Um, and honestly, so behind the scenes, I've been trying to catch up on my campaign diaries recording them and I have been kind of ignoring this one for a while and I think it's because and this is just my perspective which is why you listen to these uh this is a really hard episode to talk about because my feelings have kind of I wouldn't say have changed but they have definitely um transformed a bit over time and I I think that the reason why um I was dreading this is because you know I want to be honest about these because I feel like uh these hopefully can be a bit of learning experience for DMs and players out there um and I I don't want to lie about what my thoughts but, but also like as as a friend I didn't really know if there was a way to record this campaign diary without making some of the players kind of sound like dicks. So I'm going to try to be, I'm going to be honest. Um, and also as I am recording this, because we are a little bit ahead in schedule of playing, um, everything with Una's arc is wrapped up. So in some ways I'm happy I waited to record this because I kind of got to see the conclusion of everything, but also at the same time, um, it's going to be hard for me to talk about this without there being tons of sp- potential spoilers because I, I'm going to try to go in chronological order of how my feelings about this session, because this actually was one full session. Normally we have two episodes a session, but this episode, um, unfortunately, uh, Sam was still gone and, um, what happened was is some people had to leave early because of some previous engagements. So like it was kind of a shorter episode in general. So anyway, um, the first half of the episode is not really that complicated to talk about. It's more of the entire conversation with Una talking to Rowan and the twins that is a little tricky. So I'm going to try to like, we're going to, we're going to focus on the, on the good stuff first. And I I don't want to say the other stuff is bad, but it, it definitely is a very, the way it went down is very complicated. And I think there's some behind the scenes stuff that I have to kind of talk about. So anyway, all right. All right. The drama of Rowan casting magic. Yes. Aaron and I had talked about this ahead of time. I don't remember if in the last episode, I think I did a briefly mention that, um, Aaron and I had worked out that he was going to choose when Rowan used one of his first magical spells that he had gotten since the level up, which would have, prom- he would have had that level back in episode 11, but you know, they hadn't really been in combat or in an area where he would need to use magic. So, you know, he hadn't really had a reason to. So he, he used it in a very comedic moment. Um, 
So, yeah, um, we talked about him being able to choose when he was going to cast it, and what a moment to do it in kind of a low-key situation that wouldn't have expected it. He just lights up. Um, <laughs> poor Hans and Franz. He lost his wish chance to get magical tattoos. You know, maybe one of these days. Um, but, yeah, so this was totally in Aaron's control, and he had, like, an entire two weeks to figure out how he was going to play this moment after he had done that at the end of last session. So it was great. Aaron was so excited about it. Um, and it was kind of just a fun moment for him to be absolutely confused. Um, one thing that I will say is totally a, a mistake on my part, and I feel like this is kind of a reoccurring theme in Guardians, and I'm just going to own up to it. So I am trying to include uh, non-binary or gender-fluid characters um, in my world because specifically the Fae have that in their culture. They don't have strict gender roles, and it's very common for someone who is of Fae ancestry, like elves, uh, Dwarves have a little bit more strict gender roles in certain regions, but goblins and elves for sure uh, and other fey creatures tend to be kind of gender neutral. Like, they, they're pretty, they don't have strict gender roles. So it's very common for them to have, like, non-binary characters, and they do exist amongst humans and other uh, of the fantasy races that exist in my setting. But uh, Rhiannon's physician is um, non-binary, and I kept using... I kept intending to use they, and I did slip up and use he, and it is, and that I will say is totally a fuck up on my part, because really they are not a he, they are a they, that is what they identify as. The problem is, is I am, I don't want to say unfortunately, this is an excuse, I am not practiced in using non-binary pronouns as frequently. And it's something I'm trying to actively work on. I think the reason why I did it is one of the boys called the person him. And it's probably because it's a doctor. And usually doctors are normally associated as male. But um, technically her doctor is a they. Uh, and they use they, them pronouns. Um, and they also do not present really masculine or feminine they they tend to go gender neutral with their clothing so i i fucked up i'm really sorry to any non-binary people or who listen to this that's not a good thing for me to do and i'm going to work on it i'm really sorry um they is the techner is the technical pronouns that this person prefers um but anyway so moving on from that her physician um, is an elf, and they're experienced with all sorts of magical awakenings that happen, because by and large, most fae creatures have innate magic that they're born with. Um, this could be the ability to cast the prestidigitation cantrip, or the thaumaturgy cantrip, or like, you know, little make druid craft. Like, that's very common amongst the fae. They have uh, a lot of innate cantrip-like abilities, or even, like, spell-like abilities. Like, when you look at certain fae creatures, like, a sleep ability, a charm ability, a whatever ability. Like, they, they tend to have that. So, her physician was saying that, basically, Rowan is growing in, like, probably experiencing something similar to that. Because uh, Rowan is technically about the adolescent age uh, for years of being alive. He's, he's like, 12-ish. 12, 13, 11. Somewhere in that France. So, you know, 
puberty. Um, and there's also a little bit of thing about elves reincarnate. Um, Rhiannon's position said, I, I keep saying Rhiannon's position because I didn't write their name down. <laughs> so I don't have it in front of me and I don't want to have to comb through all my notes to find it. Um, but they seem to think that Rowan is maybe experiencing memories from like another life, which is pretty common for um, certain fae creatures to experience that. But there's a little bit of a warning because uh, essentially, you know, in any past life, there was a period where your past life, you know, died. And then that's how you, and then now you're here. So um, that also means that, uh, you know, it, it could have traumatic memory of dying in any sort of fashion, whether it be like you know, even if it's just passing away in your sleep or running into memories of, like, previous loved ones, it can be a little bit disconcerting and strange. So, uh, Rion's position is like, hey, maybe, you know, be careful about this. Uh, and is that why Rowan can understand the dead? Which, if you remember in the episode where they went to Meyerfield, he could understand what the ghosts were... One of the, like, he could understand a phrase that the ghosts were saying. So, you know, there's kind of a little hint about that so I feel like uh I <laughs> I feel like I can't say too much more without it being um spoilers but it was kind of a nice fun little start to the episode of this mystery um and poor Sam had to be gone this whole session but honestly in a way it kind of worked because Sam is so gonna be so fixated on solving Rowan's like mystery of like what's going on with him that having her not be there and just having it be Hans and Franz, Andrew's character who knows nothing about the Fae, Rhiannon who's not really personally super tied to any of them or to be in every session, and then uh, her physician who basically as an expert thinks that like, well, you know, be a little careful. They were kind of vague with information, so it's kind of perfect. I could keep this mystery going a little bit longer. Um, so anyway... Also, two side notes that are kind of fun before we get into the serious stuff. One, I love my husband's, <laughs> he says, after almost this entire fae conversation goes on about reincarnation, he's like, so the fae believe in reincarnation. It's like, uh, hey, Josh, where have you been? <laughs> he just completely, like, and it was super funny because during, I remember during the session, because this is one of the sessions we were playing in person before we all started playing online because of COVID, he he was actively listening. And I just, I don't know what happened. <laughs> He's like, I, ooh, wait, the fairy believe in reincarnation? What are we talking about? Oh, uh, I've been that, I've been that place as a player before and it sucks to be that person where you're like, what? What were we just talking about? I know I was just listening, but I don't remember anything of what was just said. And it's like, oh, God, I hate to ask, but wait, what? Um, and then, <laughs> what? She's your, what? She's a friend. Uh-huh. So, like, ever, so I'm very much like how there's um, a constant little bit of uh, the player's teasingly shipping and, and somewhat seriously shipping, like, 
Nora and Hans and Franz. There's Octo. There is also the faction of um, some of the players are shipping Rian and, and Hans and Franz together, um, and he just it, they, it, they he can't do anything with with her him going to visit her without them like all raising their eyebrows or smirking, you know. And as somebody who has been like that player at the table who is in like had a, a romantic relationship with another, it was with another player, um, you know. That's that is it's kind of embarrassing, and you're like, please now. <laughs> Let me just be my character. Don't make it awkward. Don't make it awkward. Oh, God. It's funny, though. He's a good sport about it. Um, oh, God. All right. So on the way back to the guild, Una is being followed, which actually Rowan and Hans and Franz were being followed, too. They just didn't have high enough passive or, you know, actively say they were looking. And I didn't roll bad on my stealth checks for the people watching them. But, yeah, they were being observed as well. And the reason that they're being followed is because the venerable people from the boar's head obviously said, hey, there are these two people snooping around and we followed them back. And now there's just a little bit of like, uh, what, you know, what are they up to? Why are you, why are you getting so close to this? You know, what's going on? I mean, they're kind of, I feel like this is just the, the reason the venerable is not just straight up like grabbing them 100% yet and to be like what's going on is because they're trying to play it cool and just get a pattern of their schedule and see like you know where there's potential weak points and what they do um but also like the venerable isn't really gonna just straight up murder them they're kind of interested in figuring out why are you asking these questions and how you know where's the weak spot that kind of led to this so oh boy Okay, so now we got to get to the, the part of the episode I've kind of been actively, like, ignoring. And it's weird because normally, like, in other in other campaign diaries that I feel like are going to be long, it's because I have, like, almost two pages of notes, and I really only have a page of notes for this, but um, it's, uh, it's one of those things where the, the premise of this, if you're wondering why, like, in case you've forgotten... After being followed, Una is really shooken up about this and knows that she needs to talk to the group about kind of what she's actually doing in the city and who she's looking for and give up some details. Now, um, with this, um, before even going to the venerable hideout of the boar's head the night before um like the session before on their way back to Feyen I had told Megan I'm like hey you know does Una feel like she's gotten closer with the group at all and she's like yes and and no a little bit uh they, but she's like I think she has a little bit and I said well I kind of I I would say I tipped my hand a little bit where I'm like, the time is coming where Una's going to have to open up to the group about stuff and get them involved in it for the, for her story to move really forward. Um, and Megan kind of knew that was coming. Um, so then she still kind of kept it a little bit close to the chest when they went to the when they went to the boar's head with Hans and Franz, but she, she, I don't think she expected things to escalate so quickly. And then they got followed. And so then coming back to the guild, like Una was very scared and kind of was like, Oh crap. I need to talk to them about, uh, about this. Um, and let them know kind of what she's doing in the city and who she's looking for. Um, 
Now, I, the thing about this is, is, um, you know, I'm wondering how different this conversation would have gone if Sam was there. Because most of the people kind of asking questions were like Josh and Andrew, and they were very kind of gruff and, um, oh God, I don't know how to say this nicely. They were kind of really patronizing about it. Um, I will, I will be fully transparent. At the table at the time, I knew why Megan was being guarded, but part of me was getting slightly annoyed because as a DM, I kind of want the story to move on. So like, I wasn't fully really listening and connecting with what was, I, I, I wasn't quite aware of how this conversation was sounding. And then, um, I remember re-listening to it after like a week, um, to I, I wanted to shorten it up and send it to Sam because basically Sam needed to be filled in on the details of what the group was going to be doing next so we didn't have to spend a bunch of time at table like filling her in on all the details but we would still have a moment where Una talks to Nora about this because she wasn't there but when I was re-listening to it I I was like oh shit Hans and Franz sound really dickish. And I I don't... Originally, I thought, you know, maybe that's just me? Like, maybe? Because, like, as players, I understand why Josh and Andrew were frustrated. Um, And there's... I will get into that later. But at the... But listening to it again, I was like, holy fuck. Because I was like, you know, at the time, I was like, Megan felt very defensive as Una. She was playing Una very defensive and like very kind of like not wanting to give straight answers. But then after kind of listening to how the conversation started and where it went and their tones in the beginning, I was like, oh, like I I don't know if I would have necessarily been, you know, at, at 16, 17 more forthcoming than with with people who treat talk to me like this. Um and I think that this was kind of an interesting thing of where you have the classic dilemma of this is what my character would do, but it's not necessarily like in a malicious, spiteful way. But I think because of how they had interacted with her before, and especially in this moment when she was already freaked out and felt shitty about the situation, and they were kind of browbeating her like for not telling them everything sooner that it kind of made her more defensive and in full transparency I do think that this conversation stuck well I know it did to an extent but like because of Megan said so but I know that like because this conversation went this way it kind of soured Una's relationship with Hans and Franz for uh, quite a bit um and I'm like, probably rightfully so. They were very condescending to her. They kind of were implying that, you know, how... They were implying her village was terrible for sending, like, a teenager out to find a murderer and how awful of them, which I find fucking hilarious because the Bandaya kicked out, like, two 12-year-olds on their own. Um, And granted, the reason Una is looking for this guy... Um, whose name is not revealed yet in the episode, so I'm not going to use it yet in case people aren't caught up. The reason she's looking for him, there's some information um, that um, she's not, that wasn't necessarily her original goal was to find him 
she was going to look into information about a group that he was associated with, and she found a lead on him, so she's been trailing him. Um, so there's a little bit of assumptions that, though, her village is somehow, like, terrible and, like, you know, awful for putting this on her. And there's just a lot of tension listening to it again. And no wonder Una got really defensive. Um, and uh, out of out of the game, I was like, well, it's also, st- I will say it, <laughs> uh, Sam listened to it as an unbiased person and was like, holy shit, they were they were really rude to her. It fell out of character. Um, and maybe it was in character for them. Maybe it wasn't. This is whole kind of a big murky thing. Um, and basically, it, it kind of, it, it made the conversation go a little bit crazy. And at the end of the session... Um, there was, there was a moment after the session where, um, everyone was kind of frustrated out of those of us who were there and Megan said she was sorry. And then Josh actually hugged her and he says, no, I'm, my character's just frustrated. I, I thought you were, were fine. And Aaron was like, no, I thought everything was good. That was some interesting drama. Um, (laughs) Andrew had to leave because he had a previous engagement, so he didn't really get to talk about it. Um, and I kind of wish he would have, because I think after game, maybe, well, maybe not right after game, but after those tough role-playing conversations like that, I do think that I should have as a DM, like, you should make players kind of talk about what just happened, um, and, and try to understand and listen as a player to why somebody did this, um, and, but yeah, the conver- the consequences of this conversation, I feel like, lasted more than just a few sessions. I feel like they ha- are still kind of lingering in the background of the game. Uh, Tiffany's a little bit suspicious, uh, and they all rolled such bad insight checks on that. So who, who can say what's going on there? But um, I do find it really funny that uh, they were super, like, Andrew and Josh were super questioning Megan and Una's morals on, like, this girl, impersonating this girl, and, like, all this stuff means being like well this is like you know this is how why are you so suspicious of her this is so weird when they brought up that they saw her at the boar's head and also the whole reason that this girl is on the radar is because way back in the first session when they had dinner with like the guild master um he wanted to know if one of them looked like she was trying to like make eyes or come on to him and you know then now she's making moves on ponder and that's like what could that mean i don't know why why is that you know that's an interesting thing. Um, so one of the things that I also find incredibly strange about the conversation listening to it again was um, I find it really interesting that none of the, none of them, and I don't really blame Aaron on this because I feel like Rowan wouldn't, you know, Rowan wouldn't necessarily think to ask some of this stuff because he's used to having Nora speak for him um but like none of them really asked her like well how can we help what happens if we don't catch this person you're looking for what do you have for leads and it was it it was like everything led to like oh you're too much of a child to handle this so we're gonna take it over and I want you to explain what you've done so far okay well here's where it's wrong and this is where we need to do it differently um and it really led to questioning, like, a lot of Una's morality. And I I feel like... I feel like that put Megan in a very tough position. Because uh, as a player, I feel like Megan um, 
tends to play more morally gray characters, but she doesn't necessarily have Una as a morally gray character, but because there was that pressure on her to answer and it was like, well, this is it. This is immoral. It kind of made her have a really hard time. Like it, it made her a little bit flustered and like, I don't know. Like I cut a lot of the pauses out, but there was a long period, a bunch of periods of time where Megan was like, I'm trying to think of how Una would answer this. Um, because she's like, I know that I want to give more of like the, I cut their throat and leave their body in the river answer as a D&D player. But she's like, Una wasn't quite think like that. So I have to think about this. I also find it interesting the fact that like, the way Megan played it with the start of the conversation was Una was incredibly nervous and distraught and, um, and it was like, none of the guys really reassured her. It was almost like, a um, here, eat food. Don't be a child. We're here to take care of this for you because you can't do it on your own. You need to listen to us, you know. Uh, you got yourself into this mess and, you know, you got to pay the price of it. And it almost came across as, like, Andrew and Josh trying to, like, punish Megan for having a tendency to play sneaky characters. And I will say Megan does tend to play characters that uh, have a little bit of, like, uh, sneaky tendencies. Like, she plays a lot of rogues and stuff. But I also feel like... This is where this is one of those really above table things. So as soon as Megan came in as a character, which I encouraged her when we when we developed Una together, I knew Una was going to be a good person, but she was going to be young and immature and learning how to be an adult. Um, and that she had a secret. Like, I totally helped Megan come up with this secret. I didn't necessarily prompt her 100% that it was, like, secretive. We did it together. Unfortunately for me, and I think for Megan, was the fact that in another game where Megan played a rogue that was a secretive character, that baggage of her being a secretive character in that game carried over into this game, where really there's nothing malicious about, like, Una keeping secrets from the group up until this point. Um... It really didn't concern them. Their lives weren't in danger. Um, I I do think that she probably should have talked to them, like, you know, before going to the boar's head. You know, given them a little bit maybe more detail about it. But, like, she didn't owe them the secret of her village. Um, and <laughs> it's super funny because, like, if Nora and Rowan asked for help, I don't think Hans and Franz would have asked them for so much info about helping, you know, about their village that they had explained kind of needed to be secretive. And Una had explained, like, my village is secretive, especially to Andrew's character that, like, yeah, my village is full of these seal shape-shifting people and we kind of keep secret for our protection. Um, Please keep it secret. I'm trusting you in it. And it kind of unfortunately meant that Andrew and Josh were carrying over frustration from past game where, like, she was a secretive character and they just assumed that she was being like a, a murder hobo or like an edgelord character. Um, and I know that doesn't reflect good on them. Um, I, I'm just going to be honest. I think a lot of it happened because uh, characters were, players were projecting things from past games onto a player. And I feel like even if even if, char- like, uncharitably, which I don't think this is true because I have had very many conversations with Megan about not only her current character, but that past character that caused a lot of, you know, stress for the game, for 
for them. If I was being uncharitable about her intentions with Una, I would say Una's worst flaw is she's trying to be secretive because she's a 16-year-old girl who is trying to figure out her place in the world and live up to her mother's legacy as a hero and is making some wrong decisions and doesn't really trust her own judgment when it comes to trusting people because... um, and, and learning what social taboos to break of her village. I feel like that is a flaw, but I don't think that's an unfair flaw. And that's probably the least charitable version I could give of Una for playing her this way and keeping things secretive. But I don't also, I also don't think that, like, that's really bad. <laughs> like, it's not. Like, to me, Una feels like a real character and she feels very flawed and these feel like very real things. Um, and maybe it's because to me, like, if you've been raised a certain way all your life and you have this idea of how things are in your head and you're innately stubborn and you want to prove yourself, but you have like a hor- high moral compass, you can still make bad decisions because you're like, well, I need to do this and I want to trust you, but I have these taboos that are so rigid in my head that uh, when it comes to my village and my background that I can't betray that. And I feel like that's not an unusual thing. I feel like anybody who has grown up with a very strict idea of how their world works and taboos that you just don't cross, um, and then you're confronted with like this morality of like, well, how do I deal with this? Or the world is more nuanced. Who do I trust? That's pretty common. And you're going to make bad calls on it, especially when you're younger. I know I did. So it just, it kind of felt like they were being really harsh on her. And it, throughout the rest of the, the, this whole arc, there's moments of that too, but it does get a little bit, uh, it gets a little bit better, but honestly, the only thing I can really think about with this session is what happens if you don't really deal with baggage or open feelings about previous games. And I don't think I realized up until this point um, how much uh, like certain players in my game dislike secrets or they dislike not all information being given up front when it comes to character stuff. Now, knowing that now, I feel like, you know, I I like secrets in my game. Obviously, I have a secret with Rowan going on. Of course, I can't say they shouldn't say they don't like all secrets because (laughs) Rowan has a big secret. Like, I mean, Aaron is actively keeping a secret of what he knows what Rowan's new class is and he knows rough some other stuff with Rowan that has not been revealed yet. Um, and he's keeping that secret. And, um, like, Rowan, Aaron knows what is giving Rowan magic because he has to because of the class he's multi-classing into. He doesn't know all the specifics of it, but, um, and there's a bunch of stuff Sam hasn't said about Nora, like the big mystery of why does she hate water? Um, and I feel like I don't know if if going forward what I would do is basically kind of in a session zero where we all talk together, 
have that because I don't feel like it's fair just because one player or two players don't really like secrets. I feel like secrets aren't inherently a bad thing if you kind of can get it be like, all right, I have a secret from the group, but I'm not going to hold on to it to actively harm the party. And really, like, there's nothing about Una's secret that is actively harming the party but I feel like they were projecting that it was going to go that way but the evidence of what had happened in the game didn't really point to that yet or hadn't and I don't really feel like it did at the end of this whole arc um so I really don't know how to I don't know maybe I'll listen to it again in the year and decide that like Maybe I'm being uncharitable to Josh and Andrew, but I do think that, like, the problem is, is there's going to be ways that people play their characters that drive you nuts. I have been Josh and Andrew in games before with how people play their characters, and I have, I have bitched and moaned about certain things, and really, some of that stuff didn't get better until I actually talked to them and understood where they were coming from with their character, and of course... There are people I've played with who, even when they tried to explain it, I was still like, no, you're still being an asshole, and this is this is ruining the enjoyment of the game. But at that point, I wasn't the only person that was feeling that in the game. Everyone was. Um, and I feel like if you as a player aren't aware of your own baggage, or you as a DM aren't aware of your own baggage that you bring forward into a game, you're going to have moments like this. And conflict isn't bad. But I feel like specifically with this whole conversation and this whole arc for Megan, I think she she enjoyed it. But there was a lot more moments of stress and frustration for everybody that I don't know would have been there if there hadn't been this baggage that we hadn't been open about at the table. Because really, in hindsight, I don't think like... At going forward there was more of a break and stuff where like this wasn't so much an issue but then later on again um you know there was a complete mismatch of like the players kind of talking out where how they were feeling and what they needed and it was kind of a really I feel like it kind of sucked a little bit of the joy out for Megan and I know that like it sucked the joy out for the other players too because they felt like um they didn't have enough to care or they didn't have enough to move forward or they didn't have enough to like you know be invested in the story and i felt like you know what they were asking for didn't really need to be out in the game or if it did they needed to talk about it with megan and we we needed to sort it out as a table um and we didn't really do that until much later. And then I feel like, you know, there was a lot of things that happened where I'm like, this probably wouldn't have happened this way if there hadn't been this leftover drama from other games and converse, this conversation. And it just, it's one of those things of like where I don't really know if I could say that this was a, because honestly, I would say Megan Roll played this session really good. She reacted very good as Una, especially with how the boys reacted. But I don't know I can fully say it was a conversation where everyone was role-playing their characters because um, there just felt like there was so... I can't listen to it without hearing things and being like, is this coming in because of previous baggage from other games? And that's that's why I dreaded hate recording this episode is because... And I mean, there might be people who listen to this and think, no, like, you know... 
Megan was having Una be really secretive. I'm totally with Josh and Andrew is how they played Hans and Franz being demanding, you know, her village is being shady or, you know, she's being dumb for asking this or whatever. And I feel like that's pretty uncharitable considering just the other actions of what's happened in the game. But, you know, I wouldn't say be don't be too hard on, you know, Josh and Andrew. I feel like this is a, a demonstration of, like, we're all humans as players and we all carry our own shit into games. And unless you talk about it and deal with it, you're going to kind of bring it in and it's going to probably ruin the fun level a little bit or it's going to cause a little bit of stress and tension. So don't be like us. Talk about things. Ay, ay, ay. Okay, I'm exhausted from this conversation. I think as a kind of getting off of that whole conversation note the conversation with uh una and ben was really sweet um and i felt like megan needed it as a player um and there's a reason like una trusts ben because he's one person who knows about their secret um and she hasn't really asked a ton about you know how he as a human knows about the secret, but I feel like I telegraphed it a little bit, and, you know, I'll probably save it up, because in case it comes out in a later session. But he knows about their village, so Una does feel like she can trust him, because the, the taboo has already been broken with him, or it's it's got an allowance or an exception for him. You know, and she didn't have to be the one to kind of make that judgment call of, should I tell this person and risk our village? You know, he'd already kind of known about it and been vetted. Um... And, you know, in general, Ben is a very busy man, but he uh, he definitely views Una as, like, somebody he cares for. And I mean, like, in a, in a paternal way, but not, like, patronizing necessarily, but he, he's looking out for her. Like, he, he knows that she's awfully young and she's trying to grow in the world and find her way and she doesn't have anybody else and he's trying to be there for her. And he's trying to push her to trust the group um because he thinks it would be good for her and she has a tendency to and this is actually funny i feel like one thing that like something that it's pretty common i feel and i know i do this with my own characters without meaning to sometimes they will carry not intentionally a similar flaw that i have um one of the things my players i my characters struggle with because i'm like this is they tend to be pretty indecisive um, and they also tend to have a lot of angst over, like, their identity as a person and who they are. Um, and so I, I feel like, uh, that is something that I, I unintentionally project onto a lot of my characters and even sometimes my NPCs that I don't mean to. Um, but one thing I feel like Megan has in common with Una, other than her wanting to, like, try a million hobbies and like you know do a bunch of different stuff because she's an energetic and passionate person and loves trying new things megan i don't think realizes this about herself but as somebody who's known her for years and really likes her a lot and respects her as a person she's the type of person who takes on so much like takes so much onto themselves like megan is the type of person where if you need help sewing something emergency last minute she will be there if you need help 
making something even if she doesn't know how she will be over there helping like uh, like she's the type of person that um whether you think it's smart or not but like if even a few episodes ago she came to the game even though she was incredibly sick and had like a terrible head cold and like her she was deaf in one ear I don't know if I mentioned that in the campaign tire, but literally she had blown out her one of her eardrums from blowing her nose so hard. And I told her she didn't have to come and she still did. And I think that's because at her core, like Megan is the person who like gives her all into everything and shoulders so much and doesn't let other people share in the load because she feels like it's her responsibility and burden. And I feel like that is a great trait to have as a person, but it is also can be a flaw because it means that you stretch yourself too thin and I feel like Una's the same way. She shoulders so much responsibility and feels like she's failing if she can't do it all on her own. And I feel like, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why this conversation was really painful in some ways, but probably maybe maybe it leads to good things because, uh, you know, Hans and Franz kind of were really patronizing and about, you know, how they needed to help her and what they were needed to do to help her. Like, you know, they were very, they were very mansplaining about it. I know probably some people are, you know, (gasps) popping off their monocles, but they were, they, they were, I don't know how to explain it other than that. That's what they were like. Um, but I feel like it is a truth though at a score that Una is taking on so much on her own shoulders and she has to let other people share the burden with her and that's okay. But it's a lesson I think she'll learn as a as a character. Because I feel like she'll she would say that like, oh no, she'll trust family. But you notice like she kind of views Ben more like family because he's in on the secret and there's some stuff later with people that they run into that are more family. But Una still doesn't let other people take that load without having to. And I think that's an interesting kind of character flaw because it's not something that innately seems like, oh, I'm greedy or I'm selfish or I'm a murder hobo. It's a very it's a very noble trait to have to want to take on responsibility and do all this. But you, if you don't learn how to share that and, like, learn that it's okay to need help, it can, it can be overwhelming and you can exhaust yourself. So, um, um, wrapping up, I'll kind of close on Rowan, you know, as we started the episode with him. Um, it was a good moment. Um, I kind of had come up with this idea that Rowan could slowly start unlocking memories of this past life that he has. Um, and it was going to be based on percentages. Um, and he rolled where he got a little bit of a vision based on, so like, depending on where he rolls, he will get more details. Like sometimes he'll just get like a flash of something. Sometimes he'll get like a noise. Sometimes he'll get like an actual like mini scene, but there won't really be a lot of sound or detail. And then the really high end tier of it is like, he gets like actually like a full little blown memory of something. Um, and I have a few of those mapped out. Um, not all of them in tons of detail, but I think it, it's, uh, a, the running hair and, like, the grass and barefoot, that's a very, like, short thing, but it also says a lot, because it's, like, this person that he was before, it was, like, humanoid, they had hair, they had, like, feet, you know, like, they were not the same as what he is now, so it's, it's an interesting little mystery. Um, I found it interesting, too, that he said it didn't work. He didn't think meditating worked. So Rowan is keeping secrets. Um, 
That's interesting. You know, it's kind of like Rowan seems like an open book and just honest because he doesn't have tons of experience lying. But his innate tendency when he learns something like that, that is going to, he thinks, distress other people, he keeps it secret. You know, um, maybe him and Una and Nora are kind of all similar in that way. So I think that's a good place to leave it for now. Um, Thank you so much for listening. I will say, if you have thoughts about, you know, how the conversation went, um, leave them below. Please be nice to the players. You know, don't be dicks about it. Uh, let's be nice to each other. But you can say what you think about the episode and how you felt like the conversation went. Um, but yeah, if you like this episode, please give it a like, share on social media. If you're not following us there already on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, go ahead. Otherwise, you know, follow us on your favorite preferred uh, podcast platform or on Patreon. Um Next time, we're going to talk about episode 17, where Sam is back! Sam is back, and it has one of my um, favorite little moments of them talking to each other. Some girl talk. It's good. So, and it's very needed after this whole conversation. And it also has one of the dumbest reoccurring jokes um, uh, in the whole thing that I still can't listen to without laughing. So, yeah, that'll be good. A little light in spirits. Uh, have a good one, adventures. Adventures.